I want you to notice in your bulletin the spring revival. We've got, we're going to do a lot of good things there. We're going to do some canvassing, some knocking on doors. We're going to do some inviting. And most of all, what we're going to be doing is a lot of praying. I really wrestled with this idea of this Sunday. What, what did God want me to say? And more so than normal. And I had finally came four things. Monday, I had four things written down on a piece of paper, and I began to pray and anguish over it, and, and really anguished over what to say today. And there's two people that know that, and that's Teresa and Chad. Because Chad didn't get my finished sermon probably till Friday, and Teresa didn't get the sermon title till Thursday morning. And so you know I'm running late. Usually Monday, by Monday evening, I'm, I'm coming along with the, the title and everything. And so I really did anguish. And uh, it was, I guess, Wednesday when we had the associational meeting, and uh, they started talking about prayer. And God began to speak to my heart a little bit about that. And I thought, prayer, yes, prayer. I've talked about it before, but God just called me back to that subject. And I'm feeling in the service and what I'm hearing from everything, from the music and everything, we have a big God. We have a great God, a powerful God. And we need to get in touch with Him. When we're talking about revival, listen, people start praying and calling on God, things happen. There was a little part of England called Welsh. I don't know if you're familiar with it. But they talk about the Welsh revival. You'll hear a lot about that and what happened. But I, let me tell you what happened. And you mentioned not having a pastor. And that was a revival that broke out because the people of God. Not because what some pastor did. Everywhere you went in Wales, if you went to a coffee shop or a restaurant, or a clothing shop, anywhere there were people gathered. And someplace they would go in rooms and close the door. Businesses. Everywhere people began to go, there were people gathered praying. And lost people hearing this praying. And after a while, this people just broke out having meetings of prayer, praying all day, praying hours, taking their lunch hour, taking their sandwiches or their lunch and going somewhere and spending an hour together with friends praying. And lost people were listening and seeing. And before long, some of them started getting saved in the prayer meetings. Folks, that whole nation was swept by the Holy Spirit of God, into revival, and reached for Christ during that generation. Now, I'm not saying everybody, but most of the people. I mean, why? Because people prayed. That's the power of prayer. One verse this morning, and by the way, you see that the most important meal of the day is prayer. Amen? It's the best part of waking up. And I and listen, I drink Folgers coffee. It's the breakfast of champions. 
prayer. It's Super Bowl Sunday. And we're going to see two teams, supposedly the best, and usually, I don't know who you root for, I, I don't really care, but uh, the best. But we have this superpower in the universe called prayer. And it's the most underutilized power that we have. First Thessalonians 5.17, look there with me if you will. First Thessalonians 5. And verse 17, very simple verse, three words. You say, wow, we're not going long today, are we? Well, I don't know. I don't know where we're going yet. First Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing, prayer. And Paul is trying to sum up. Things we need to do in the Christian life. And he comes to this thing of prayer and he says, just pray without ceasing. Don't quit praying. You say, well, I can't do that. I was telling somebody that I have a mow a two and a half hour, uh, a two and a half acre, excuse me, lawn. takes me three hours to mow. And I spend a lot of time praying. I said, it's amazing I haven't run in the pond yet, but uh, <laughs> I haven't. Three hours of prayer. But that's not enough. Praying. Somebody says, how do you do that? How do you do that driving? I, I pray driving. I was walking up to the parking lot. I got out of my car and, I'm, and I'm, I'm verbalizing a prayer. And some folks from our church came up. I said, look, I'm not talking to myself. I'm talking to God. I, I sometimes verbalize my prayers. I'm talking. Lord. And I do that in the car. And some people see me talking in a car. So what's he doing? But I pray. I've walked around a room praying. I, I mean praying, but praying all the time. You can't do that all the time, I understand. But Spurgeon put it like this. Have your mind in an attitude of prayer where you can slip into prayer at any time. Any moment. And I do. Somebody mentions something, I pray about it. I call people all the time tell them I'm praying for them. And I mean that. And listen... The Bible in Ephesians 6 talks about the sword of the Spirit. Amen? The Word of God. But it also mentions prayer. The only two offensive weapons we have to fight our enemy, and by the way, he is quite an enemy. He is a supernatural enemy, and I don't think any of you are supernatural. But we fight a supernatural, powerful enemy and the only weapons we have are the Word of God and prayer. The best defense is a good what? Offense. Word of God and prayer. And prayer, we're talking about one of those today. Prayer. Prayer. Where does, this idea, though, of Paul comes from an Old Testament idea, the altar of incense in the temple, or in the tabernacle as they were in the wilderness. It's pictured in, in Revelation chapter 5 and 8 as the prayers of the saints. Incense goes up day and night without stopping. Without stopping. And that's the picture. And this pray without ceasing relates back to that altar of incense which is representative of prayer. And it was their job, and they had somebody in there all the time. A little, you remember Samuel did that. To keep those incense, that fire burning all the time. 
In other words, that the prayers would never stop going up to God. And they're pictured in Revelation. It says there, there's a bowl there with the prayers of the saints. Someday, God's going to turn that over. It says in the latter part of Revelation, and He will answer one prayer, Come Lord Jesus. But we need God, amen? We need God's, listen, we need God's touch as never before. This country needs it. The world needs it. How are we going to get it? Prayer. We're going to have to pray to get God's touch. We need help. We need power. We need grace like never before. And one of the greatest sins, I believe, of the modern church is our lack, our failure to realize that we need prayer. We live in a country where for the first time, the fastest growing religion is no religion. Do you realize that's the fastest growing religion? No faith in God at all? That's the fastest growing faith in our country. One half, uh, this is the thing we've been called into, one half of all the people ever living on the planet are alive today. Church attendance in Europe and Canada is in single digits. We are in a generation, folks, where we can be the Apostle Paul. Think about it. Where we can be the Apostle Paul. Just but just as sure as we need it, people today just do not see the need for it. Or they don't know how to pray. And we're going to, I'm going to spend three messages on prayer. Not next week. I know it's Valentine's, so I want to talk about love. <laughs> but we'll take a break next week, and then we'll go back to prayer. We're going to talk about how to pray, why our prayers don't get answered. And today, the need for prayer. You know the verse. If my children, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek me, so on, I will heal their land. He will answer from heaven and heal. He has not because we have not. We have not humbled ourselves, confessed our sins. Tom Rainer, who is a church guru, so to speak, maybe that's a poor choice of words, isn't it? In a Christian, in a Christian but a church knowledgeable church guy, uh, just using the slang term guru, uh, has been write, in his writings on the, why the church is failing today in his nine reasons, he cites one of the major ones is prayer. And he says this, and I quote, we spend more time in the church arguing about church business like the color of the walls than praying and thinking of God's real work in prayer. Amen? I don't care about the color of the walls. You can paint them chartreuse. Not going to bother me. It might bother somebody, but not me. God is not invested in buildings. We are. Think about it. Jesus thought it important enough to address many times with his disciples, including setting them down and pray after this matter. And when do we think about prayer? Oh, well, somebody gets sick. Maybe our child gets sick. I know that I did some heavy praying when my kids were little and when they got to be teenagers. Amen? 
Y'all know that. Or we go to the doctor and he tells us we have a serious illness. Or when our nation is attacked by terrorists, when someone close to us dies, and suddenly we seek God and we want grace and help and wisdom and comfort in His presence, but we haven't been praying all along. Look in Luke 6.12. Luke 6.12. Luke 6, 12. And it emphasizes prayer. Jesus went out into a mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. Jesus went out to pray all night. Boy, he gives us a great example. We say, I follow Jesus. How many times you ever went out and prayed all night? Well, I'm not going to do everything. That sounds a little fanatical. Well, I got news for you. Jesus is a little radical in certain things. Not politically, but spiritually radical. He went out and he thought it. He prayed all night. He prayed. Think about it so intensely. We're going to talk about it and how to pray and intensity of prayer. He prayed in the garden till his blood vessels and his eyes burst. I don't know. Sounds like Jesus believed in prayer. What about you? And again, we have a powerful enemy. And his disciples went out healing and casting out demons. And they came to a guy. They couldn't cast the demon out. And what did Jesus say? This kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. In other words, you've got to invoke something more powerful than just casting them out. You've got to pray. And seek God's power. And have God's leadership and strength. That idea, let's look, let's look back just for a moment to Exodus chapter 30 in the Old Testament where we have this idea of praying without ceasing. It says in Exodus 30 verse 1, Thou shalt make an altar to burn incense of shittim wood, thou shalt make it. In verse 6, thou shalt put it before the veil of the, uh, of, that is by the ark of the testimony. Before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. Listen to this. Where God will meet with the high priest. And Aaron shall burn thereupon sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps and shall burn the incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps, see, it's, it's the breakfast food of champions. He's every morning. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense. Before the Lord throughout your generations. He was to do that. Before the, the testimony. before Right before that curtain. Now here we go folks. That curtain opened up. You know what that curtain represented? The veil of flesh. And that's why when Jesus was crucified, God ripped it in two. And inside, that was the Holy of Holies where they poured the blood. And the blood did what? It was good for the sins of the people for one year. Jesus poured his out. It was good forever. And the priest went in there, but he had to veil his face. He couldn't look because God was present with him. 
But outside, right outside there, was that altar of incense. Do you realize what that means to us today? Not a single one of us can see God because of the veil of our flesh. And yet, when we pray, our eyes are veiled and we're supernaturally moved into His presence, into the Holy of Holies. We're standing before God. That's the picture here. We're standing before Almighty God in the Holy of Holies. And we do so because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. I think we forget, and it says here it was perpetual, continuing, pray without ceasing. Day and night, never let the incense go out. I think, my friends, sometimes we have let the fire go out. We have become weak and beggarly, powerless and sinful, distant from God. And we don't have the power and the strength that we ought to have as the people of Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ in this generation. I'm not saying everyone. I know we have, every church has prayer warriors. We talked about in that pastor's conference. I knew a lady lived across from our church. Her name was Mutt Williams, just a nickname. I don't really, I think her name was Emily, actually. She laid in a bed. She was bedridden. And when I'd come over, she would pray, this lady would pray for hours every day, pray for the church. And when I was a new pastor there, she said, Pastor, I have a great vision of th- things happening, of new buildings. And everything she had, God had given her in that vision happened. She prayed, and God revealed things. And one day, we put her in an ambulance and drove her by the new church to see all that had happened that she had prayed for. Now, many might look and say, hey, you were a great success. I'm not so sure I was. (laughs) She might have been a great success at prayer. And probably why I was there. But, folks, God can do anything. There was a whole nation of Ninevite people at Nineveh, the Assyrians. And one day God sent a prophet to them. Jonah, you know the story. He was reluctant at first. And he went to that nation and pronounced judgment. Forty days, God will destroy this place. Well, how did the people respond? It says they believed God. They believed in God. And they began to pray. And they anointed themselves with sackcloth and ashes to show their humility. And the people of that nation began to pray. And God saved that nation. How What saved Nineveh and Assyria? Prayer. Saved a whole nation. From destruction. Of course, we find out the real reason Jonah didn't want to go. He he got depressed and says, "Did I, Lord? Did I not tell you this when I was in my own country?" He knew God was merciful, and if he went there and did that, those people would repent and believe God and be saved. <clears throat> and that's exactly what happened. So, what can God do if we pray? 
He can save a whole nation. He saved them. And he was going to destroy them, and he saved them. Listen, you guys like to do stuff. If you have an electric drill, I know a lot of people use the battery ones. I still haven't figured those out. I used everything I have to have the cord. And uh, if you have an electric drill and you unplug it, how good is that drill? Not very good. Try to drill something with a drill with an electrical cord. It doesn't. How about a saw? You see, if the power isn't there, it doesn't run too well, does it? And when there's not enough prayer in the lives of Christian people and in the church, we don't have the presence of God, we don't have the power of God, we don't have the life-changing power of God in the church, and we cannot do mighty things. When we see the world declining, we must admit our prayers must not be what they ought to be. And David, in, in relating prayer to this thing, what I was talking about here in Exodus, said this, let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. He correlates that prayer to that altar and he says, may it be acceptable unto God. We have indeed lost something. We've forgotten that part of church is prayer. It's not buildings, budgets, all the things we think it is. Part of it's prayer, part of it's evangelism, part of it's Bible study. And beyond that, it gets mighty weak after those three things. After the word, prayer, and evangelism, it's mighty weak. Isaiah 56, verse 7. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain, will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifice shall be accepted upon my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And I think, I know that's talking about the temple, but I think it relates to the church. I think God would say today, my church is a house of prayer for all people. Let's get back to that. Listen to a typical prayer meeting in our churches. I hope this doesn't get on your toes so to speak, and I have an ingrown toenail that's been infected. But I didn't ask anybody to pray for it because I knew I was going to preach this sermon someday. <laughs> we talk about Uncle Edward's ingrown toenail, Aunt Susie's gallbladder. But how many times do we say, Preacher, we need to pray to rescue the erring in our congregation, the backslidden, to rescue and save the lost, to revive our church and all the churches around us. Lord, we uh, need to pray for life-changing events. How often do we pray for that? And here's the thing, the last thing about prayer I want to say. Luke 18.1, this morning, men ought always to pray. And not to faint. Always to pray. That men ought always to pray and not to faint. What's the thing that will keep you going when you want to quit? Prayer. 
prayer. How many times have I been at the edge, and I've been at the edge a lot of times, and want to quit working for God, and prayer pulled me back. God would speak to my heart, speak to my mind, speak to my soul, and prayer will keep us. That word faint means give up. We ought, rather than give up, we ought to pray. We ought to pray. Never give up on yourself. Never give up on God. Never give up on your church. Never give up on anyone. There is nobody that God can't reach and fix. Amen? And I know, because I had a dad, if there would have been one, it would have been my dad. And God reached him. God says, we have not because we ask not. And he tells us in 1 John 5, 15, we know that if we pray according to the will of God, we have the petitions, and he will answer us. Amen. Prayer. I think when it says, he says to the church at Ephesus, Ephesus, in Revelation 2, 5, repent and do the first works, so I will come and remove thy candle. I think he's talking about prayer, part of it. Their relationship with him. Listen, loving the Lord and following the Lord in prayer is a relationship. Let me just ask you, how much time have you spent? You say, I love Jesus. Now, how many men love your wives? Don't raise your hands. I'm sure all of you do, right? Amen? Amen. I love my wife. Okay, so you can say I raise my hand. Um, how loved would she feel if I came home and said, okay, I'm out the door and gone. I come home, sleep, get up, leave, come home. And she never sees me or talks to me. Do you think she'd think I loved her? No. But we go away from God like that and we don't spend... We, we pray over our meals and breakfast and, oh, i got to pray. Okay, it's Sunday morning. Let me lift up a two-minute prayer for church. And we don't pray any more than that, and we think that we love God. Well, I think if we loved God, we'd spend a little more time with Him. Amen? Talking to Him. I think some of us need to just go to God and say, okay, God, we need to catch up. I've been away. When you haven't seen someone in a while and you see them, he's waiting on us. That's why in Revelation, when he comes to the backslidden church, he starts off in Revelation walking in the midst of the church, and when he gets to the end talking about the churches, he says what? I stand at the door and knock. Well, what happened? He was in the midst of the church just a few verses ago. And now he's outside standing at the door knocking because he's been excluded. And when we take prayer out of our church, we put Jesus outside the door. When we don't pray and seek him, you got problems, pray. Pray for your church. Pray for your search committee. Pray for your family. Well, we know that. I pray for my family all the time. I tell you. You know, you raise kids and you think when they're grown and they're, keep praying. Then you got grandkids. And you still got kids. Just extra praying to do. And, you know, encourage each other to prayer. Encourage each other to prayer. 
What would it hurt if you called somebody randomly in the church and said, Graham, I'm praying for you today. Just want you to know that. Steve, I'm praying for you today. I'm praying for you today. <laughs> or someone in the church and say, I'm praying for you today. And go to God and just have a relationship with Him and start asking Him. And then start thanking Him. Thank, don't forget to thank Him. Don't just go to God and ask and ask and never thank. Thank Him. And when you get through thanking Him, just say, Lord, help our church to be what it needs to be. Help us. Help me to be who I need to be. Plead with Him. Plead with Him. I want to encourage you folks. We're having a revival in April. Begin to pray now. Pray heartily unto the Lord. And let me just remind you as we close today that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, a prayer offered up to Him in faith will save you. That's what prayer can do. Prayer can save you. It can put you, take you all the way from hell to heaven in one little prayer. You just have to recognize that Jesus died on the cross for you, shed His blood for you, forgave your sins because of that, that He was the Son of God, and you call on Him and say, Jesus, I believe you're who you were, who you said you were, that you rose again from the dead, that you died for me. And if you, if you acknowledge Him as Savior, He says, whoever calls on me on the name of the Lord, I will save. Romans 10. So if you haven't done that, now's the time to do it. You, you know, good works won't get you to heaven. Because good works can't take away sin, can they? No. no? We can't wash it away in the baptistry. You can't wash it off in the shower. It's not coming off because it's inside you. The only thing that will take care of what separates you and God is the, the payment that Jesus made for sin for you on the cross. So trust Him. Let's stand and pray. If you're here this morning and heads bowed, and I'm asking everyone to bow and pray right now. Now's a good time to pray. Bow your head and pray. People praying across this room. If you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, with your head bowed and you're praying, I want you to acknowledge Him. Just say in best, your best words, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me in my sin. I'm trusting you as my Savior today. Would you raise your hand if you're doing that this morning? Just write it up. Don't be afraid. Raise your hand. Anyone at all? I see your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else this morning? I'm trusting Jesus as my personal Savior. Any, anyone else before we close? Don't miss this opportunity. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I'm trusting you to save my soul. Amen. One has already stepped into eternity with Jesus, with others. I'm trusting Jesus. Anyone else? Before we close. Lord, we thank you for the one who indicated by hand they're receiving you. And Lord, I ask your blessing on the invitation. Someone needs to come, to pray, to be saved, to whatever. Maybe they want to pray for the revival. I don't know. Whatever you lead them to do this morning. We've talked about prayer. Let them come to the altar. Make my house a house of prayer. 
And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.